find an informative podcast all about training working dogs? Look no further than the LWDG Pod Dog. This weekly show is hosted by me, Joe Parrott, founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group. And I chat to experienced trainers and experts in the field who will give you helpful tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or you've been working with dogs for years, this podcast will have something for you. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to LWDG Pod Dog. Let us help you build a better bond with your best friend. Hello and welcome to another episode of LWDG Pod Dog. This week's episode is all about keeping working dogs out of rescue. Now, this isn't the most exciting or the most happiest of topics to discuss, but I think it's one that's really, really important for us to understand what's going on in today's age. Speaking with me today is Megan O'Connell. She's from Roma and Friends Dog Training. She owns the business and she does a lot of work that some of you might be aware of. Um, Welcome, Megan. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. So Megan, tell us a little bit more about how you got into the uh, into dog training, into what you're doing now. So back when I was in my early 20s, I started to work in doggy daycares and as a dog walker. I did that for a couple of years and then I took in my own rescue dog called Roma, who my business is named after. Uh, She was quite reactive when I adopted her and I found myself not knowing what to do with her and it set me on a bit of a journey really Um, and now I'm here six years later. (laughs) Is that really interesting Megan that you adopted Roma and that started this journey and that I now believe that you work with Spaniel Aid is that right? Yeah that's right I'm on the behaviour team at Spaniel Aid UK. So did Roma play a part in starting that journey for you? Yeah, definitely. When I when I had Roma, I I tried to look at different trainers, I tried to look at different training methods, and I couldn't really find anyone that could kind of work with Roma. Now Roma's a little bit different. She's from an overseas rescue, so she's from Romania. So she has some little, you know, little quirks that had to be kind of looked at in a in a deeper sense. So that's kind of what set me on the path of learning myself because I I felt like I couldn't really find anyone that would fit with what I needed and different things and then it kind of sparked a passion for the rescue world and you know rescue dogs and how how many dogs kind of end up in that situation as well. So we're all very aware of the huge boom in um, people buying puppies over from the start of COVID, I think I saw somewhere the sort of statistic that we went from 9 million households owning dogs in the UK to 12 million. So that is a huge boom in a very short amount of time. What has been the sort of repercussions of that for the rescue world? So in recent months, it's definitely had a toll on the kind of dogs that were being asked to take in. So Normally, we we might have got maybe some bite history cases that would have to have a little bit of work done before they could be adopted. 
But now in recent months, those bite history cases are becoming more and more prolific and we're getting more. Um, so Spaniel A did a Facebook post last week where 78 relinquishment forms had already been signed in on the website. Now, as of today, that's gone up to about 90 and it's the 25th of January. So we're not even at the end of the month yet. And that's such a huge number of dogs um, trying to find their way to you. Do you know what that would, that figure roughly be about? You know, before COVID, were they seeing sort of 90 or were they seeing more like nine? No, it, it definitely wasn't nine. It was, I would say, probably between 30 and 50. Um, but 90s, I think, one of the highest that, that we've had, definitely. So that's nearly double then, and just after Christmas as well. So, you know, are these um, rescues like tiny little 12-week-old puppies, or are you seeing a huge range of ages? It can be a huge range of ages. Now, in January, out of the 90 dogs, 37 were below one years old and 16 were under two years. So So there is quite a lot of young dogs in there. Yeah, that's a vast majority, isn't it? Like, you know, we'd all used to see maybe older dogs where people potentially passed away or sort of middle part trained dogs where people have just decided this wasn't for them but these are are young dogs who under two they've not really even had a chance to become well-behaved dogs yet have they no no they're they're all in adolescence and you know bearing in mind they've spent pretty much all of their life in and out of lockdowns and whether we kind of like to acknowledge it or not in the dog's eyes the world went very quiet for for no reason at all and then it just opened up really quickly um and there was people everywhere there was more traffic on the roads there was increased dogs everywhere and you know for for some of the dogs they hadn't had that for the first kind of you know five to seven months of their life um so it was all happening in a really sensitive time period as well yeah because for the age range we're looking at they didn't even know life pre-COVID so they could only judge what they were born into by like you said what you were seeing which was people at home all day very much a quiet different lifestyle a life speed to to what we're sort of getting back to now so the dogs that are going in are they you know with spaniel aid I'm assuming they just take spaniels are they all working spaniels or are they being approached by for spaniels who maybe don't come from a working background so a lot of them are working spaniels. Um, so in terms of kind of breeds, there was 35 working cockers in January. That's a huge number, isn't it? And I suppose that is that large number is replicating the trend for people wanting to buy working cockers during that period. Definitely. Is it a case, do you think, like... Um, I, I believe that most people start out with the most best intentions. Was it a case that a lot of these people just did not have a clue what a working cocker would be like? I think so, yeah. I think the reality of having a working dog 
is very different to your idea of having a working dog, isn't it? You know, I um so last year myself, I rehomed a working Labrador. Um, she came to me with a severe bite history and food aggression and resource guarding. And I I took her in because I knew the solid support system that I had if anything were to ever happen, like she had a bad day and I needed support. So you know, for people that don't have that and they don't work with dogs, I definitely think that for some of them, it was it was a bit of a, a reality check um, that, you know, having a working dog isn't actually like your idea of it. You know, sometimes, sometimes for our working dogs, the longest walk in the world won't satisfy them. You know, it's it's also that mental stimulation. So, you know, I think people have to also be really prepared that they have to train um, and give these dogs mental stimulation. Sometimes a long walk is just not enough for them. I can totally understand that. A friend of mine bought a working coffee and she's a really active lady. Um, and I suppose the theory is that if I have quite an active lifestyle, I can take on a a working, active dog. Within the first week, I think it stripped most of the wallpaper off the wall in the in the hall because, like you said, it's not so much the exercise but the actual mental stimulation. They just want to problem solve. Yeah. And, you know, the line with working dogs is you also have to t- generally teach them to switch off. Um, and that's where the training can come in. I mean, when I first got Mabel, um, she was on a house line for three months because she couldn't sit still. Um, she was either trying to tear my cushions. She was trying to rip my shoes apart. You know, she she was really in a straight of a state of distress when it was time to chill out and do nothing. So even though I had Mabel at eight months old, I still had to train her to do that. And it wasn't, you know, well, she didn't just do it herself. I had to put the work in to make her do that. So obviously for yourself and for the other people working in Spaniel Aid, it must be a really, really sad time at the moment and quite distressing because 90 dogs um, is quite a lot of dogs to sort of, first of all, take in. But then also assess and then also rehome. Are you under a lot of pressure at the moment? Yeah, well, so Joe, those 90 dogs, they're people um, that are trying to give their dogs in. We can't take those 90. Um, we're we're foster based, we're not we're not a kennel based. Um, so it's a knock-on effect because we have to find the experienced fosters that can take you know, 37 bite history dogs, that's 37 fosters alone on new dogs. So it is an immense amount of pressure. And we are having to heartbreakingly say no a lot more than we used to. What is the outcome then for the dogs that obviously you must literally, all of you must be heartbroken saying no to them, but where do they go then? It depends. So unfortunately, the sad reality is some of them will end up being put to sleep. Um, The other reality is they may go into a different rescue. 
Um, some of them, if they're working with a trainer or a behaviourist, uh, they might give that dog a push um, to a trainer home or a behaviourist home where they're quite experienced. Um, so, you know, it must be, like I said, incredibly hard for you guys and for the, the whole veterinary profession and nursing profession that supports that to have to be putting young dogs down yeah. simply because they they were chosen by the wrong owners who like I said I think they're all are well intentioned but if there's somebody on here now who's listening who, who's like I might actually be that owner who just didn't realize the level of commitment or the level of knowledge I would need what what are the things that they can sort of do to keep working dogs out of rescue I would say you know research breeders um go and see you know mum and if you can dad um check their temperaments not just you know it's got health testing um temperament's really really important then you know as soon as you get that dog think about training even if you only want that dog to be a pet that dog may still have to be trained to be a good pet um in particular you know if they're going to be a mad spaniel that can struggle with their lead walking, make that a priority um, and be prepared for adolescence as well. Um, even the most well-trained dogs in the world go through adolescence. There's no stopping it. You know, they, they will all hit it at one point or another. And you just have to remember that you go back to basics and, you know, choose a good trainer that will be there for you and, and support you as well. So for a lot of people, if they're not from a, a gun dog or working background, knowing even what they need to know is, is quite hard, isn't it? Do yeah. you think it's a case of when they are looking at these breeds to, first of all, educate themselves on what the breed requires? Yeah, and I think education goes beyond, you know, kind of researching a breed on the internet. For me, if I was going to research a breed, I would want to see that breed in person. I would, you know, I'd maybe contact people or a kennels that have working cockers and go and see them in action. You know, reading about them on the Internet is is very, very different to see, you know, even the level of drive that these dogs can get to. And that's when your prey drive can come in and they start running off and, you know, sometimes killing livestock and the owners don't know what to do about it. It's, it's very different seeing a breed in person versus kind of looking on the internet and asking your friends and, you know, seeing the good spaniels as well. You know, I think a lot of people see happy little spaniels walking to heal with their owners and they kind of go, oh, I'd like that kind of spaniel. Um, but not, not all breeds are equal. You know, no dog is equal, really. They all have their own little quirks and personality so I think seeing a wide range of that breed would be a really really good idea yeah because even between like a working cocker and a show cocker they might as well be two different breeds because yeah. what you are requiring out of a show cocker and has been bred into those lines for for many many generations are near enough completely opposite to what you want in a working cocker. You know, I definitely think if you look for the at the labs, for example, we've touched upon this before, 
Charlotte used to have a show lab and he was a big hefty thing that would just well he was almost monstrous and then when you put a working lab next to it he made the working lab look like like a lurcher because it was a very different um, body frame a de- very different behavior de- very different um, mindset of wanting to help or, or get along and build a relationship with an owner they were very very different dogs so people going along thinking oh I'd like a little cocker because it's a little cocker and potentially won't do a lot of damage in my house I'm not constantly or or not aware of the level of intelligence or the level of what they want to achieve isn't it you know you're telling the dog you know telling a cocker no it can sometimes take a very long time for him to understand um what you mean yeah, and that that's the line with working breeds is, you know, they're bred to do what they are bred to do. So that goes in in both ways. I mean, I train my lab in scent work and if her tennis ball is on top of her crate, she's getting on top of her crate to get that tennis ball. But equally, I've had to come to a sort of compromise with her because when I need her on top of, let's say, a JCB to go and search for a scent, I need her to be able to do that. I need her to go on without any hesitation. So I think sometimes with working dogs, I think you do have to do a level of compromising as well, um, you know, in order so that you don't, I mean, that's if you work them, if you don't kind of want to disturb their work, I mean. Yeah, and like, I like we've had quite lots, well, lots of interesting conversations as the years have gone by with people who use their dogs as gun dogs in the, in the winter and then through the summer may do a completely different activity, agility, scent work, whatever. And we are now definitely, without doubt, seeing sort of this multi-purpose dog. Um, going back to the, the problems faced with rehoming them, you spoke a little bit there about resource guarding. Now, I've got to be honest, I was a little bit shocked by that, that quantity because growing around watching Spaniels being worked and bred, it wasn't something that I can I can honestly say I don't think I've ever seen it. So where do you think this sort of difference in behaviour is is coming from? Is it something that the, their owners are doing? Are they letting them get away with with those little growls and murmurs as pups, and then that's leading on to this dog who's quite unwilling to share? So I don't have the paperwork in front of me to have a look, but off the top of my head, I would actually say it's a mixture. Um, I would say that a lot of people have actually gone too far on the punishment scale and the dog has learned that they really have to bite to get the owner to listen. And the thing is, when dogs bite, that's when generally people listen you know, it's not the subtle signal signals beforehand. It's, oh, my dog's got my teeth in my arm. Maybe I should listen to him. Um, so I think sometimes signals are missed. And then when the dog bites, people then go, oh, you know, this, this is serious. But then on the other end of the scale, um, there's maybe some of them that just aren't getting the mental stimulation and what they need. So in turn... You know, I found that resource guarding can actually be quite a stress triggered behavior. And if we think of spaniels, they like to pick things up and have them in their mouth. So a lot of spaniels, they can, their default behavior can just be to go and pick something up. And then if you've not appropriately trained that spaniel to drop it and they find that valuable, then, you know, a lot of the time it it can cause an issue. 
Yeah, and and now you're explaining like that, I can sort of potentially see how these things could happen in the case of if you're constantly um, taking things off your dog and not, I suppose, we we encourage and foster the retrieve and, and try not to be cross when they yeah. when they're eating the husband's trainers. You yeah, know, exactly. We, 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 a lot a lot of people try and teach their dog to drop items when they have the item that they don't want them to have in their mouth. So in my puppy classes, I always say this is the exercise for drop. You need to do this outside of when your puppy has stolen your socks. You know, this needs to be done for a couple of minutes, at least a couple of times a week, so that when it comes to actually putting into action, your puppy is getting to know what it means. Yeah. And I think you make a really valid point there as well. So if they are constantly, the, the dog is bored in the house, they're picking up stuff they shouldn't be because, like you said, it's, it's, it's part of what they are. And then they've been told to, to put it down or having it pulled off them or all those types of things that maybe somebody who's not aware of how to handle dogs could be doing, then you're going to have that thing where the dog doesn't want to give it back. And I can sort of see how that could come across. I suppose coming from a background where that's not, that's just general dog management though, isn't it? Like it doesn't matter what the dog is. Maybe maybe they people having dogs who haven't been brought around any brought up around any dogs at all yeah definitely um some of the kind of relinquishments we've had over the past couple of months have been first-time dog owners um but I also think that you know I think we need to acknowledge as well that not everyone that gives a dog up you know is a bad person or they they haven't tried everything because some of the forms that we get in they have tried everything and it is absolutely heartbreaking oh, but obviously because of covid people's lives have changed as well so there's been a lot of things outside our control that's happened you know job losses maybe um deaths in the family you know people's lives have definitely changed so i think as well there i think there should be more compassion for people that do actually they've really tried everything and they do actually have to give their dog into rescue because it's it is heartbreaking some of the stories and you know there is there is the people where the dogs maybe had a growl once when say you know the child did something they shouldn't have done and they've gone I want rid of the dog but a lot of the time it is people that they have tried their best and they love their dogs to pieces which I I, I fully agree with you um I, nobody, I, I, I meet very few people who go out with or plan to do anything with any malice. You know, I, I say to, to the children all the time, people do the best they can at the time. That might not be the best thing, but it was the best at the time. And that's all yeah, they can do. And, with, and also with the knowledge that they had at that time as well. Definitely. And without a doubt, you know, even within our group, we say that the first Spaniel is normally the worst behaved Spaniel. By the time you've got your second or third, you pretty much ironed out what you need to do. So obviously it's a different case where um, people continue. But going, when those dogs are coming into you, what are their prospects then? You know, if they do, if they are lucky enough to find a foster with you, do they then go home? Do they then go on to be rehomed? Or is it a case of they, the fosters are having to do a lot of work with them to, to, to change these habits? 
So that depends on the dog and their history. Uh, some dogs we get in and they do need a little bit of work. So, you know, the foster will assess them and um, do what they can. And then we kind of work on finding a suitable home. Sometimes they can, you know, they'll all go into foster, but depending on kind of their background and what's gone on, it determines how long they stay. Um, and then obviously we've, we've, we take in some dogs with medical issues. So sometimes they become long-term fosters because it's the right thing to do. Um, some dogs will get in and we sometimes collaborate with working dog companies and search companies that we can say, we think we may have a potential search dog. Can you come and assess them? So it's not always pet homes that they they do go to. We do try and find suitable working homes when we can. No, I always see Facebook. I've got to love it and hate it all at the same time. But on Facebook, um, you always see this sort of thing of like people who've gone to rescues, who've got working homes and are very much educated and what these dogs would need. Go to a general rescue now. And the general rescue says, no, you can't have them because of this, this, this and this. If anybody's listening to this and they think, well, actually, I can I can offer a foster or I could offer... Um, an adoption or a rehome what is the process for them to get in touch with you so they go on the spaniel aids uk website and they fill out either a foster form or they apply for one of the dogs that are on the website via the adoption form that's fantastic and i'll put the the link in the show notes as well we talked a little bit before this uh, call about statistics you know You've given me some lovely statistics where I'm thinking, oh, my God, that really shows the the level of the, the problem we're facing. Are there any sort of other statistics that you would like the listeners to be aware of? So out of the 90, we were able to take 41. It's just less than half. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, when you say kind of less than half, um, it can sound you know not great but at the end of the day that is still 41 that you know one small breed specific rescue has been able to take in i have got to be honest when you started telling me the figures i'm I'm really shocked like i'm really shocked there's even that many looking for for homes you know that's that's a massive amount and certainly i suppose when people are out there breeding um you know, not not the people who breed for to develop the line and and to and find new uh, good homes. Not that type of breeder, but the breeders who are just breeding litter after litter after litter after litter. They are then going to be adding to this ongoing problem. Yeah, we always ask. You know, do you have a return to breeder contract? And a lot of the time, the answer is no. You know, sometimes the dog will go back to the breeder after they've tried us, um, but a lot of this situation over the past couple of months it's it's just been nose across the board so obviously these are large numbers now for january but was you seeing this increase like in 2021 yeah it was it was steadily steadily getting there um but it was it was definitely increasing towards the end of this year definitely so what are the sort of outcomes though for like if you've just taken in a two-year-old with with real challenges the person who's going to rehome that has to 
be aware of and be prepared to take on some some large problems to to work on aren't they yeah they will so we have a obviously I'm on the behavior team and when the adopters say you know want to start training or they're having some slight kind of snags with the dog in the first kind of couple of weeks um we'll get posted for a call and we'll call them and then we'll keep in contact and then if needed we'll recommend that they go and see someone in person and we've got kind of a list of accredited trainers and behaviorists that we can say this is a a good a good start for you to look at fantastic yeah and we we do keep in we do keep in constant contact and then they get follow-up calls and we're always at the end of the phone kind of checking how how they're getting on and everything brilliant so people who are sort of listening to this and think well maybe i'm prepared to go down this route they 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 support throughout for them if they decide to do this Yeah, we have a whole behaviour team. We have, you know, we have a set of different teams where, you know, someone will always kind of be available to call and talk through things. And then, you know, for obviously the more specialised information, that's when we come in on the behaviour team. So, you know, we are we are all volunteers. So depending on how busy we are, sometimes it it may take a couple of days. um, But if it's if it's urgent, then we will always try to to get to it promptly so obviously if people can rehome that's fantastic and if they can foster that's also fantastic is there any other way that um, our listeners can help you yeah you can um, donate um, you can share our facebook posts you can follow our social media you can share the dogs that are being put up for adoption um, all the information is is on the website Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Megan, for your time going through this um, quite emotive subject. I'm sure it's very, very hard for all of you. And and we can only thank you all for the work you do, because things like this, they don't just affect the individual dog. They they affect the industry. They affect how the, the working breeds are portrayed. And it's really nice to see that you're playing a part in ensuring that these dogs want to find fantastic new homes. If people want to get a hold of you, Megan, at Roma and Friends, how do they do that? So I'm on Facebook as Roma and Friends Dog Training. My website is www.romaandfriends.co.uk. And I also have Instagram as well of the same name. Fantastic. And just so that um, ladies understand or those listening understand, it's not just the um, adoption or the, the spaniel aid that you work with. You're also able to sort of prevent this as well by helping people before their dogs get to this point. Yes, definitely. I work with a number of working breeds. I do kind of specialise in rescues, um, both from here and overseas. And um, so there's, you know, if you're if you're in the Chester area, then um, I do work with Spaniels. I do. Brilliant. And finally, just to finish off this fantastic podcast, what are your sort of top tips for keeping working dogs out of rescue? So my top tips would be give them mental stimulation. Research your training methods. Find a good trainer. And keep the consistency. 
Fantastic. I think everybody, you know, consistency sort of is one of the top words used in our group, along with steadiness. Um, I think they're two of the most important things that we can give any dog, not just a working dog. So thanks for, again for that fantastic podcast. I hope you've all enjoyed listening to it. Please share this podcast because there are others around that may need to hear the information that Megan has just shared with us. And we look forward to speaking to you all next week. listening to LWDG Pod Dog with me, Joe Parrott. Now we all know training a dog takes time, energy and patience, but our lives can be really, really busy. Don't worry, the LWDG has got you covered. Join us for our free planning workshop where we'll show you how to use short 10-minute training sessions each day to fast forward your dog's education. Our experts have years of experience in training dogs and will help you get started on the right foot. Register now and start making progress with your furry friend today. Go to our Facebook page, The Ladies Working Dog Group, and click on the pinned post. Or visit www.thelwdg.com.